Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Join me for the ultimate Team Mom deep dive. This is more than just a recap show. I'll scour the internet to bring you all the best drama that MTV didn't air. From police reports to deleted tweets, I've got the details on all the fights, breakups, and arrests of our favorite MTV train wrecks. If you think the moms bring the drama on TV, just wait until you hear what really happened. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hello. Hi. Hi, dear friends. How is everyone? I'm well. I feel like I haven't done a solo pod in quite a while. Have I? I don't remember. When was the last time I solo potted? I know I was with Fiona last week, but I take did I take the week before that off? True I truly can't remember. But anyway, um things have been pretty calm in Teen Mom Land this week. I don't think anything has really happened. Chelsea had a party with Itsy Ritzy and her makeup looked ugly. <laughs> that was about it, I think. Brianna's building her own home, but I think I've talked about that. Her and the whole family's going to move in, which I think is great. Good for them. And yeah, that's really it. I don't think anything has happened this week. Anyway, I watched the new episode, and I actually kind of liked it. I actually thought it was pretty good. I don't know. Okay, so Mackenzie McKee is back. How do I feel about this? I feel fine. I mean, look. Do I think Mackenzie brings, like, a really, really dark energy? Yes. Do I want to see Mackenzie's mom die on TV? Not particularly. I cried at the end when she was talking to her mom. I think Mackenzie and Angie have dark energy between them, but also a very sad, 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 sad energy. And I just think it really brings, like, a sad vibe to the show overall. But the show is so fucking boring that it's a a welcome reprieve, right? Um, I think that MTV is being so fucking rude to Mackenzie. All of the advertising for bringing Mackenzie back, including on this episode, is welcome her for a few episodes. <laughs> so fucking rude that they're not, like, just letting her join the cast. I don't think they're gonna let her join the cast. Apparently the ratings were super low for this episode, but I think the ratings have been really low, and the reality is is that I don't think Mackenzie McKee is ever going to pull in viewers. She doesn't have a fan base. You know, like, nobody's like, oh, Mackenzie McKee's back on. I'm going to tune in to Teen Mom OG. No, I think the focus of MTV should be how the audience that's already watching reacts, aka me. They should be checking in with me. They should call me. They should listen to this podcast. Psych. I hope MTV literally never listens to this podcast. But they should be care, you know, they should care about Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, like how people are reacting to her coming on. And if it's making the show better, which in my opinion, like she added a breath of fresh. Now, will that breath of fresh last? Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But on this terrible, awful season, I I did feel like her dynamic added a little something even though I said I'd been enjoying the four-girl format, which I had, I do think it was a relief that we only had to spend about four minutes with Amber this week because Amber has fucking nothing going on. So I was glad about that, that they didn't have to, like, make a fake storyline for us to follow Amber around with because they could focus on Mackenzie. They had less time that they needed to be with Amber. I do think 
that the five girls storyline works on this show, like, because the reality is we just don't have to spend as much time with each person. (laughs) And that helps them. So, I don't know. Radar Online, like, the day after the episode aired, released an article that was like, Mackenzie's already fired, the ratings plummeted. (laughs) Which, rude. But, as I said, I think that it'd be a mistake for MTV to base giving Mackenzie a spot or not on ratings. That, to me, doesn't make any sense. Because the ratings for this show are falling no matter what. I think if they brought back Farah, possibly the ratings could go up a little, but I also think that would just be, like, a hike for, like, two episodes that she's back, and then it would be a downfall when people were like, oh, I still don't like this show. I think that, I think that's the reality, is that people don't like this show, including me, including everyone listening to this fucking podcast. We don't like this show anymore, but we've been watching this show for 10 fucking years, so we're powering through. Oh, I want to say shout out to everyone who reads Reddit Blog Snark, which is my favorite subreddit on Reddit. Well, no, it's a subreddit I really like, and it talks about bloggers, and that's where I get all my good Caroline Calloway goss, and they have a podcast recommendation start every week, and Feathers My Hair usually gets mentioned and gets a lot of love. So shout out to anybody who found that, found this podcast from Blog Snark. Or is a blog snarker who's mentioned it there. I appreciate you. So yeah, let's just talk about the episode. As I said, it's just me this week. Obviously, I like the episode. I have things that I want to discuss. And I guess we should start with Caitlin and Tyler. Okay. It, oh, look. I, I'm a, getting a little concerned about Nova's speech. I don't. Like, she's four and a half in these episodes, almost. Not a full four and a half. She's born, like, January 2nd or something. And this episode, I happen to know, took place on May 18th because that's Carly's birthday. Why do I know that? Because that's my ex-boyfriend's birthday. (laughs) And I remember they got those Carly tattoos in season one. Remember, Butch? You got a tattoo of a baby you don't even have! (laughs) Iconic. But... They got those Carly tattoos with the date of her birth, which is 5-18-2009, and that was my ex-boyfriend's birthday. So, I'll remember that forever, because I was like, they have your birthday tattooed on them. But everybody else is celebrating Father's Day this week. Well, not everybody, but others are celebrating Father's Day, so Caitlin and Tyler are a full month behind. Oh my god, I'm doing this thing where I'm yawning, where I'm talking, I'm trying to hit pause, but I'm not tired. I don't know why. Sometimes when I talk, I just keep yawning and I can't help it. I <laughs> anyway, so it's I'm oh, I'm a little concerned about Nova's speech. She still speaks a lot like a baby. Like has full on baby voice. Maybe it'll change when she goes to kindergarten. I'm guessing, well, I don't know. I'm not a speech pathologist. Can you believe it? Can you believe that I'm not a speech pathologist? <laughs> I'm not a speech pathologist, but I'm just I'm getting a little concerned. So, yeah, as I said, it's Carly's 10th birthday, and they're going to celebrate it with a cake like they do every year for her birthday, and we find out that they don't talk to Nova about adoption, which to me seems bizarre. I think that there is absolutely, there has to be a child-friendly way to talk about adoption. You know, adopted kids get talked to about it all the time, but I do think that Tyler had a point where he was like, it's different for us. And I do, like, okay. I do agree that it's 
probably harder for them to talk to Nova about adoption than it is for Brandon and Teresa to talk to Carly about adoption. Because Brandon and Teresa can frame Carly's adoption as, we prayed for you so much, we wanted a baby so bad, then God gave us you, you know, there are lots of books about it being adopted. There are poems about being adopted. There's lots of child-friendly narratives about being adopted. Now, I wonder if there are books about, like, your sister was adopted. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. But I do, I do think that it's a little more complicated when it comes to Nova. And I think if they weren't on TV... The reality is, is that they probably just wouldn't talk to Nova about Carly really at all. I do think, like, a lot of this, I think celebrating Carly's birthday with a cake, I do think a lot of this is MTV encouraged. And if not MTV encouraged, like, Caitlin and Tyler performing for the cameras in a way that they would not perform if they were not on MTV. And I think that a lot of the girls do this, and I think a lot of reality TV stars in general do this, where even if they're not encouraged by the producers to do something, especially when you're in your, like, 10th year of being on a TV show, although it's not really their 10th year because they had three years off or whatever, but your 7th or 8th season of being on a TV show, I think that when you know what the audience wants, you know what the producers want, you know what your storyline is, you're more likely to perform than you would if MTV wasn't there. So I think that, you know, Tyler and Kate have kind of been conditioned to do this Carly birthday every year for the last 10 years, and I have a feeling it would have fallen off had they not still been on TV. Um, but I do think that, I think that Nova would, first of all, really benefit from some child therapy. I think that, you know, she has some separation issues with Kate, mostly probably due to Kate going to treatment for a while. And I think that she, they could talk to a therapist about how to talk to Nova about Carly, because I do think it's pretty uncharted territory for them. Um, and I think that they are in a rare position where they're still together. It's her full-blooded sibling. I don't know. Caitlin and Tyler are tough. Caitlin liked some shit about Brandon and Teresa being insecure, and that's why they don't get to see Carly so much. Hold on, I posted on my Instagram. I'm going to read it. So if you're not following me on Instagram, follow feathers underscore pod as usual. And Caitlin liked this tweet, and it said, It's sad they didn't get to grow up like sisters. Be oh, for context, Caitlin had tweeted, Novali adores Carly with a heart. And then this person quote tweeted, It's sad that they don't get to grow up like sisters. I really wish Brandon and Teresa would realize letting you guys in more doesn't diminish. They are, they are her parents. I believe it's insecurity on their part because they know the bond will always be there. <sighs> okay. This is wild fucked up for Kate to like. <laughs> Even if you believe this, it's like wild fucked up. Also, I can't imagine how warped Kate's mind is from the shit that people say to her online about this adoption. Anytime they post on Instagram about Carly, there'll be hundreds, if not thousands of posts like, she loves you, she'll move back with you guys after she's 18, Brandon and Teresa should give her back, like constant, constant, constant comments about 
how amazing they are. And as I talked about last week in the Cole episode, I don't know, I guess I've been thinking a lot about social media and our brains lately. Oh, I'm so original with my content, right? Um, But I've been thinking a lot about it. And there's just no way that like those hundreds of thousands of comments over 10 years don't kind of warp your perception on what's true and what's false. Now, for this person to say this and then for Kate to like it, which implies an endorsement, you know, you don't necessarily have to agree with everything that you is liked on Twitter. I'm not saying that, but like if you're a celebrity and you know your likes are kind of combed, you have to be careful with what you like, obviously. So for Kate to like that Brandon and Teresa are keeping Nova and Carly from being raised as sisters is fucking insane. Carly and Nova were never going to be raised as sisters regardless of who their adoptive parents were because she lives in another state. She has different parents than Nova. Now, could they be one day as adults form a sisterly bond? For sure. It's absolutely possible. I think that also people in this fandom like go too hard on the other side where they're like, Carly will never want anything to do with Caitlin and Tyler. They're white trash. She's not growing up white trash, trash, so she won't know any like thing about their life. She's going to judge them. She's going to hate them. Um, I think that as I've hopefully said a million times in this podcast, we literally know nothing about Carly and we have no idea about her life. We have no idea about who she is as a person. She's also only 10 and there is absolutely no way to know how Carly is going to react as an adult if she'll want to be close with Voltaire's or not. Maybe she will want nothing to do with them. Maybe she will have a Christmas card type of relationship with them. Maybe she will, when she's 21, want to move in with them. Maybe she will visit them three times a year, but not be that, that close, but so pretty close. Maybe they'll text regularly. We just don't fucking know. For all we know, Brandon and Teresa are hyper-conservative Christians, which I think is probably true, and Carly, her act of rebellion will be to go with the Voltaires. We just don't know. But the reality is, and the fact is, that Brandon and Teresa are not the reason that Nova and Carly are not being raised as sisters. The reason that Nova and Carly are not being raised as sisters is because Carly was put up for adoption and adopted by a non-family person. You know, there's Ashley Salazar, who I did an episode, I think Maria and I did an episode on Ashley a while ago, which I'm 99% positive Ashley Salazar listened to, because shortly after that, she started following me on Instagram, which I don't think she does anymore. So, like, how else would she have found me? Um, And just, like, yeah, I was following her, but she has a decent amount of followers. And I was actually pretty nice to Ashley Salazar in that episode, so it's fine. You know, her birth daughter, Callie... Callie, (laughs) like Caitlin's horse. I think that's her daughter's name. I think it's Callie, not Kaylee. Um, Callie is being raised by her cousin, like a family member, like I think aunt and uncle or a cousin, like close, close close-ish family member, you know, not like a third cousin once removed type of family member, but also like not her sister. Um, Callie is being raised by a family member. And Callie and Ashley are very involved. I think it's possible that Ashley views, excuse me, that Callie views Ashley's new son, he's not that new anymore, 
as her brother and that they're kind of being raised as siblings because Ashley's with them a lot. But that's kind of a different situation because it was like an intra-family. Is it intra? It's intra, right? Intra-family or is it inter-family? I don't know. But an inter-family, because doesn't inter imply different and intra is in? Don't know. I Wow, truly cannot get hung up on this. But it was like an in-the-family adoption. That's a little different as long as Caitlin and Tyler were adopting out, you know, as long as they were adopting to someone that was not a family member, they were never going to be raising. And even if they did adopt to a family member, it might still not have happened the way that they wanted it to. But they were never going to be raising Carly and any of their future children as siblings. They were never going to grow up as siblings. Now we have no idea what's going to happen in the future. But for Kate to like that is just, it's irresponsible. It's disrespectful. Um, I don't know. It just, it's also like hard for me to understand what the fuck they're talking about when they also reveal like, oh, well, we haven't sent Carly gifts in three years. And it's like, Okay, so you care enough to do a fucking birthday cake on MTV, but you don't care enough to send her a card? It makes no sense. Um, so Nova picks up, Nova picks up, Tyler picks up Nova for school, and we get, we also get a scene of Caitlin riding her horse, by the way, which I was glad to see. Some horse girl went on Reddit and wrote, literally, I copy and pasted it into Word, and it was 17 full pages, single spaced. I swear to God, she wrote that much about Caitlin and her horses. Um, obviously, I didn't read it, but so I guess people didn't like the way that Caitlin rode her horse, but I thought it was nice to see her on the horse. Um, Tyler picks up Nova, and Tyler's like, Guess what? I have a birthday cake. And Nova's like, For me? And he says, No, it's for Carly. And Nova's like, For Carly and me? Which, by the way, is cute. I, I love little kids like not quite understanding when their birthday is in March or April. I was at, you know, my best friend's, and her youngest was under three at the time because she just turned three in May. And I, like, brought gifts because I want them to love me, and I understand that children love via gifts. (laughs) And I was like, Zoe, look at what I have for you. And she goes, it's my birthday? (laughs) Because her older sister had just had a birthday, so she had a concept of, like, you get gifts for birthdays, but didn't quite understand when her birthday was. So, yeah, kids, like, not quite getting birthdays is very, very cute to me. But uh, Tyler says, no, Carly is at her house celebrating. We're going to celebrate at our house. And Nova's like, well, can Carly come over? And Tyler explains that Carly lives with her mom and dad. And Nova says, oh, like, I live with my mom and dad. And I thought that was good to me. That was obviously indicating that she had a sense of understanding. I think what's going to confuse her is when... They say that's your sister. I don't know. I guess Nova's still young enough to, like, not totally get, like, what a sister is. Like, I'm sure she understands Veda is her sister and she loves Veda. But Veda's also only been around at this point for, it's May. Veda was born in, what, February or March? Like, Veda's still a newborn baby. And so I'm sure she doesn't have, like, a full, full understanding of, like, family relationships like that. So when they say, like, it's your sister, but she lives with her mom and dad, it's probably not that confusing to her yet, but they really need to be continuing to talk to her about this, and they really need to maybe talk with a professional that's not Dawn about how they should talk to her. (laughs) Dawn wasn't here for Carly's birthday. I was surprised. 
I was quite surprised that we didn't get a Dawn appearance. So they light the, you know, they light the candles. Kate's dad and grandma are there. I can't remember the last time we saw Kate's grandma, if we ever saw her before. Uh, Kate was stoned as fuck, if you guys noticed. And they talk about the last time they seen Carly. It's been about two years. They sing happy birthday. Nova blows out the candles. It's fine. Afterwards, uh, Kate and Tyler are in the car driving, talking about it. And this, I thought, was like a very interesting slash sad conversation where Kate was like, you know, I would like to establish a tradition that we do every year as a family to kind of celebrate with the girls. And Tyler, Tyler reasonably was like, well, the girls may not want to do this. You know, as they get older, they might really care and be really into the idea that they have a full-blooded sister or they might be like, mom and dad, why are you doing this? We don't really care. Or they might really not like it. And Kate immediately was like, they'll think it's awesome that they have a full-blooded sister. Like, right as Tyler says, like, maybe it should just be me and you because maybe the girls won't be into it. Like, Kate, without meeting a missing a beat, was like, oh, no, they're going to think it's awesome. And that, to me, was, like, really sad. It really um, exemplified her issues with liking that tweet and, like, why she liked that tweet. I think that Kate uh, has a fundamental misunderstanding of children's uh, care level for siblings that they do not live in a home with and or not just do not live in a home with, but they do not see and do not have a relationship with when you are a small child. I think kids until they're like tweens probably, you know, and they start to like really get a grasp on the world, like don't care that much about like, well, you have a full-blooded sister because like to what is full-blooded, first of all, even mean to a child? I don't think that means anything to a kid. I think that a kid cares about what's in a kid's world, you know, the very, very small world. Um, I, I know I talk about them all the time, but really they're my main exposure to children. But like my, so my best friend's children who call me Aunt Liz, and I remember feeling this way as a kid about my uncle Paul, have like kind of started to question, you know, the older ones, like the six and the five-year-old, especially the six-year-old, have kind of started to question like who I am in relation to them because they do have an understanding a little bit. And like one of them said something to me, I was like helping her get changed. And she was just kind of, I don't know, like narrating her life to me and said something like, well, I'm only families allowed to get me changed. And I said, yep, that's true. Unless your mom specifically tells you that you can go with someone that's not family, maybe like a trusted friend, like, and I mentioned her mom's best friend. And she said, yeah, and you're not family, but like you are family. And I was like, yep, exactly. And sometimes they'll say stuff like, well, you're not really our aunt, but you're our aunt. And I'm like, mm-hmm, I'm your aunt. And so they only have like, and they're, you know, she's six. And like, she was like, they only have like a tiny grasp on what makes, like, what makes an aunt, what makes a sister, like they understand their sisters live with them. They understand who their mom and dad are. They understand who their 
they actually only have aunts because none of their both of them only have sisters and none are married um to men and so they have an understanding of like hannah and jordan are dad's sisters nikki is mom's sister liz is aunt liz and they don't really get like who i am in relation to all of that i don't think because like blood doesn't mean anything to children what means stuff to children is like who is in your life as anybody knows like remember when you're a kid and you had to go to like extended family stuff and they'd be like this is your cousin this is your aunt like we had you know my grandfather's sister that we would go see um that i had such a little understanding of who she was to us that we called her tanta greta because she was my grandfather's sister and my grandparents were german and so we would call her Tanta, you know, aunt for German. I think that's how you pronounce it. She died when I was like eight or nine. But we would call her and I thought this is how little understanding I had of who this woman was. Even though I had like a concept that she was my grandfather's sister and that we related to her. I thought her first name was Tanta. I didn't understand that that meant aunt. Like kids just, I'm rambling. I'm kind of repeating myself now. But I just, I think it's sad that Kate is like, no, they'll think it's awesome that they have a full-blooded sister. And sad that Kate isn't that keyed in with children and understanding what that means. Although it's weird because I think all of Kate's siblings are her, technically, you know, are half-siblings. They all have different fathers. So I wonder if maybe that's where it's coming from. Like, maybe in her childhood it was hard for her not to have the same dad as her siblings. And so she, like... I wonder if as a kid, she, like, craved having, I mean, I don't know. This is, like, total guess. But maybe as a kid, she, like, craved the idea of having siblings that had the same mom and dad as her. Because, you know, she had her little sister, who I believe has a different father. And then Nick, her little brother, who definitely has a different father. And I believe her dad also has, I think she has a brother from her dad. And I wonder if she was, like, I wish we all had the same mom and dad. And now she's, like, projecting that on Tanova and Veda that they'll be super hyped that they have an older full-blooded sister but I think that's not going to happen because Nova and Veda have a very different life than Caitlin had in that one they already have a full-blooded sister that they live with I really I'm I feel gross saying full-blooded sister I don't think halves full blood anything like first of all it sounds like very I don't know like <laughs> Harry Potter like half-blood <laughs> I don't know. But, like, yeah, as it's just, I'm only harping on it because that's the language that Kate uses. But I think that it's very different for Nova and Veda because they are, at least for now, and I think probably for a while, they're being raised in a home with their parents who are married and who both of them come from the same parents and they have a lot of stability as far as, you know, obviously Kate and Tyler aren't perfect, but they're going to live in that one house for a long time, probably. They're going to go to the same schools. They're not going to have this, like, a parent in and out of prison, just like all the bullshit that Kate had. And I think that Kate is projecting this idea of excitement. Well, I think part of it is that she would just be, I think the idea of Nova and Veda not loving Carly as much as she loves Carly is very devastating for Caitlyn. Um, I think that she doesn't know how to deal with that. I think that's like another part of adoption that she would still be more, you know, like a part of adoption that maybe she hasn't mourned yet. 
um, and fully let go yet. Obviously, by liking that tweet, is that, like, Nova and Veda are not Carly's sisters beyond, at least at this point in their lives. They are simply birth sisters. They do not have a familial relationship. They might in the future, but as of now, they do not. So I think that's something that Kate is probably having trouble mourning. She probably wasn't expecting to mourn it like that. And I think, so I think that on top of like issues from Kate's childhood and being from a very dysfunctional family and constantly having, you know, I would imagine like her dad was living in Florida. Her mom just had like a string of boyfriends or husbands that was always around. And I think that Kate is maybe projecting childhood Kate feelings onto Nova and Veda, even though Nova and Veda are going to live just such a different life than Kate, life than Kate is. Um, I think it's good that Tyler seems to have an understanding of this, that they might really not be interested. I don't think they're going to be that interested in her, at least not for a while. Um, I bet as they get older, they will. I think there's also going to be the layer of everybody around them knows about Carly because of TV, but I'm not sure how interested they're going to be in celebrating Carly's birthday. Um, so yeah, I think that will be interesting to see. Oh, one other thing is Tyler was talking to Kerfee, Daryl Kerfee, uh, after Kate did, and he said that, you know, in retrospect, his advice for people who are giving a child up for adoption is to pick someone that's more similar to you. And it kind of sounded like he was bashing Brandon and Teresa, but I actually really agreed with what he said. And I've been saying this for a long time in that he said, like, you know, they're very reserved and we just didn't know anybody like them as far as their lifestyle. So we thought that's how everybody who had, basically he's saying like he thought everybody who had money was like Brandon and Teresa. And I've been saying this, that I don't think Caitlin and Tyler knew a single person like who wore like a suit to work. Like they didn't, they were not raised in a white collar environment. And I think if you go back and watch your 60 and pregnant, like I think they were so blown away by like Brandon and Teresa's house and money and which, like, I don't think they're that rich. They're just, like, solidly upper middle class, but that at the time was so unattainable and so unimaginable to Caitlin and Tyler that I think that they thought Brandon and Teresa, like, every rich person was like them. And I think now that they're rich <laughs> and that they're most likely in the same socioeconomic class as Brandon and Teresa, if not making more money currently than them, I wouldn't be surprised if they were. Because I don't think Teresa works. I think they just live off. I think Brandon works and Teresa stays home. So I bet Caitlin and Tyler, between both of their teen mom salaries and social media and all that stuff, like, are making more money than Brandon and Teresa. Um, you know, and they have a big, beautiful home and they have nice cars and they travel and they do all the things that they never thought would be possible. I think that what Tyler was saying was, like, we didn't understand that, like, you could be rich and be, like, loosey-goosey, open-minded, uh, more willing to have, like, a completely open adoption, more willing to intermingle our families. And I think he's right. I think he's absolutely right that they kind of were blinded by the lifestyle that Brandon and Teresa could offer and that they did not have the maturity or the knowledge or the skills to pick a family that personality-wise made more sense for them. I also don't think that Tyler and Caitlin knew what their fucking personality was when they were 16. This is why 
adoption is so hard and like how could 16 year olds know that to know what family to pick and it's why I can't really blame them for going with Brandon and Teresa um but then he also says my dog is flipping out in the background sorry somebody dared dared to lock their car door and have it make a noise and my dog is very upset about it this dog is very well behaved she's just a barker and it's really annoying but like she doesn't chew your shit up she doesn't go where she's supposed to go she's like very calm when you're in the house and she doesn't jump all over you she just barks at shit she's a lot of anxiety basically anyway where was i oh tyler also says like and to be fair to brandon and Teresa, like we weren't what they were expecting at all they had no idea that we were going to be on a tv show i was so glad that somebody finally fucking acknowledged this because i've only been saying it for five hundred thousand years is that, like, Brandon and Teresa did not know that they would be on TV, did not know that their daughter would be the topic of a TV show for the next 10 years, and that if they could redo things, they probably would, too, and pick a family that wasn't going to be on TV, which I've been saying for years. They thought that they were doing a one-off special. Yes, Brandon and Teresa did some press early in Carly's life, but, like, they were on the cover of, like, a Christian... Ad- oh, I just slammed my hand on my little folding table thing that I use. Um, they were on, you know, like, a Christian adoption magazine cover. They weren't, like, seeking out people. Well, maybe they were on People magazine. But this was all, like, before Carly turned three. It was all still early days. They did not know that their daughter was going to be a storyline on TV for the next ten years. And how could they have? And, of course, Tyler and Caitlin didn't know that they were going to be either. So, yeah, I thought that was an interesting discussion. I thought Tyler was kind of in the right that they should have picked a family that was different. But I also don't think they had the capability to pick a family that was different at the time. And it was also impossible to pick or to have, like, an idea of what their life was going to be looked like, what their life was going to be looked like. What their life was going to look like. It was going to look so fucking different than they could ever imagine. Nobody would ever have guessed that Caitlin and Tyler from their 16 pregnant episode would be where they are today. And it's all kind of unforeseeable stuff, but I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Tyler also mentioned somewhere in this episode that he's worried about Carly feeling that was I really loved. Did they not want me? Which is often in adoption circles, adoptee circles called the primal wound, which I suggest you guys look up. It's a very interesting theory. And it's basically that an adoptee feels like intense trauma from being adopted. And that it's something that they carry with them for their whole life. And I think that is obviously very true for some adoptees. For some adoptees, it's not true at all. And adoption is a very complex issue. And Every adoptee feels differently, and that's why, like I said, we cannot predict how Carly's going to feel because we don't know. Anyway, that's it for Caitlin and Tyler. Let's take a very quick break, and then we'll go on to, let's talk Cheyenne. Okay, not that much actually happened in Cheyenne's segment, but I really like Matt, guys. I'm, like, actively liking a character on this show and a side character. What's wrong with me? I think he is. First of all, I think he's cute. At least in this episode, he was cute. I think he's nice. I think he seems pretty mature. Um, He seems like he's slowing Cheyenne down a little bit 
on her like rush 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 expectations which i think we know she has because she moved in with zach after like one second last season was that last season has cheyenne only been on the show for one season do they do an a and b season it's all melting together in my head i have literally no memory of anything that happens for this podcast (laughs) but I like Matt I think he seems nice I don't really have an opinion on Taylor I know everybody hated her on the challenge and are you the one but since I don't watch those shows I don't have an opinion on her and I don't think um anything that she does on the show to me is just like okay you know what I mean like I feel okay about it all. I don't feel negative or positive. She's like very white bread to me. There's nothing. And I guess it's because she's usually a villain on the shows is my understanding. And she's obviously not a villain on this show. So I think it's just um, there's nothing for her to do, if you will. So basically for Father's Day, um, Corey and Cheyenne go out with Ryder. They decide not to bring their significant others because it's still just a little too early. But Cheyenne lets Corey know that Matt's parents are divorced and that they spend a lot of time together as a blended family and he totally understands and respects it. I'm going to be honest, I didn't watch last week's episode yet, but I'm going to watch it today like as a background show so I can get a better understanding of Matt and her going to Baltimore to visit him. Was he driving a Tesla? Is Matt rich? What does Matt do for a living? I need some more information on Matt. Here's the issue is that I still don't feel like Cheyenne is very much a part of this show in a lot of ways. I think it's just because I don't have 10 years of background information on Cheyenne that like I like even Bristol was a little different because Bristol is somebody that me personally like I've kept up with. Bristol and the Palins in general have just been a family that's been in the media. She's somebody that I feel like I've known with quotation marks around no for quite a while. I pretty closely followed the 2008 election. I loved all the hoopla surrounding her and Levi. Um, I loved when Kathy Griffin had Levi on My Life on the D-List. I loved the drama with Bristol and Dakota, like, breaking off their wedding. And then she announced that she was pregnant in that saddest pregnancy announcement of all time. Then getting married. Then having another baby. Like, I always kept up gossip-wise with Bristol. So when she came on the show, it was like, okay, like, I kind of have an understanding of Bristol's backstory. I know that she got pregnant as a teen. All the media stuff that she went through. I loved that movie Game Changer. Game Changer? Game Change? Game Changer? with um juliana moore as sarah palin that was incredible she was so good i think that was her right yeah um it was an hbo like made for tv movie it was really good so yeah i know the palins so but cheyenne because i don't watch the challenger are you the one cheyenne and Corey to me like are they mean nothing as far as like understanding any of their drama and the people in their lives And I, so it's like, I'm like, oh, I like Matt. But like, oh, we did see that this week it came out that Matt has two previous arrests in 2011 and 2014. I think one was domestic violence. People like sent it to me and I was like, I don't really care. And I think that I know that's wrong because she's on this show and I should care and I should be giving attention. But the truth is that I just don't really care. I don't really care about Cheyenne because we just haven't been following her long enough. And 
part of the reason that I still watch this show and I do this podcast is because of my encyclopedic knowledge of all things in the T-Mom universe makes this enjoyable to me. But with Cheyenne, because we just don't know that much about our history, like, okay, for example, our Kyle Lynn wasn't at the bowling with Cheyenne's dad and grandfather. And so I was like, well, does our Kyle Lynn have a different dad? Like, we don't know. We don't know anything about them. And you guys just heard me give you a whole rundown of Kate's biological family. Like, I know everybody in that fucking family. But I don't know anything about our Kyle Lynn. And if she is the same uh, dad as Cheyenne, and if, if she does, how come she wasn't at the bowling? Did she have a falling out with her dad? You know, like, there's just a lot that I feel like I'm missing that makes this unenjoyable to me to watch Cheyenne. Not unenjoyable. I don't hate Cheyenne. That's not true. And as I've said before, I would watch a Cheyenne. Well, I wouldn't because I don't really watch TV. But in concept... I would support a show about Cheyenne and Corey being like reality TV stars and managing their co-parenting relationship. Um, And then they could take the time to explain all this stuff. But we're just not getting enough information about Cheyenne and Cheyenne's backstory and Cheyenne's family and everything like that for me to like fully care. Like, oh, Matt's going to meet Cheyenne's dad. Like, okay, am I supposed to care about Cheyenne's dad? He's not somebody that we've been following for 10 years, so why do I care about Cheyenne's dad? And I think that that's the problem with adding new girls to the cast that aren't part of the 16 Pregnant franchise. At least Mackenzie McKee is part of the 16 Pregnant franchise. She she was on a season of Team Mom 3. And, like, if you cared about the franchise of 16 Pregnant and Teen Mom, then you've been keeping up with Mackenzie McKee because she has made sure to be a person to be kept up with via social media. She makes a real effort to stay in our consciousness. And so, like, we have a history on Mackenzie McKee, which is why she makes a little more sense than bringing in a Bristol or a Cheyenne. And I'm trying hard to give Cheyenne a chance. And when I watch Cheyenne, and especially in this episode, I found it fine to watch. You know, I wasn't like, oh, I wish I could fast forward this. Although, Here's the here's the deal. I'm not a fast forwarder. I will just not watch the show. If it gets to a point where, obviously, for the reasons that I watch the show, which is to recap for a podcast, I can't fast forward. But I probably wouldn't be watching this show if I didn't do this podcast. I'd be reading recaps and I would find another Teen Mom podcast to listen to. And um, I would just, like, maybe go online and watch scenes that seemed important. But I can't see my... I don't understand people who sit down and fast forward through people's scenes but watch other people's scenes. That doesn't make sense to me. You have the fucking show on. Just watch it. So, like, I enjoy watching Cheyenne's segments. I think they're decently entertaining. I don't think a lot of them fit in necessarily with the rest of the show. But when it comes to recapping, I don't care that much because, like I said, like, somebody sends me a link about Matt's arrest and I'm like... I don't really want to click on that because I don't care about Matt and I don't care about what this means in regards to Cheyenne because I don't care about Cheyenne and I don't care about her as a character on this show. And I'm not sure MTV totally gets that or they they maybe get it, but they don't want it to be true, I guess. Okay, so um, like I said, Cheyenne and Matt go bowling with her dad and grandfather. There's like a scene about what Matt's intentions are They're grilling him. Matt says love is unconditional. And Cheyenne's like, you didn't watch the first season. Because remember, they had that whole thing where she cried because her dad said his love was not unconditional for her. Which I 
you know, go back and forth on. I think a parent should have unconditional love for a child, but I also think boundaries are important. <laughs> um, but Corey, or excuse me, but Matt says he loves Cheyenne. He wants to be with her. He understands what her intentions are, and Cheyenne's intentions are, like, have a relationship with someone that she can get married to and have more children with, and Matt seems, like, on the same page. So I'm happy for them. And we get a season, a season, a scene of Corey and Taylor talking about how in the future Taylor wants everybody to be on good terms so that she can be part of Ryder's life and go to things like Ryder's, Ryder's dance recitals, but agrees that like they're not there yet. Honestly, I'm overall pretty surprised with how well um, they're kind of doing with their significant others being part of the picture. I said last season, everybody was like, co-parenting goals, co-parenting goals about Cheyenne and Corey. And I was like, hold up. No, no, no. This is not co-parenting goals to me because Corey and Cheyenne have sex (laughs) and spend a lot of time together and make Cheyenne's significant other really uncomfortable and don't seem to have boundaries. And personally, I think I was right with that, um, that they were not co-parenting goals because we saw that Cheyenne got really hurt. In the end, like, never forget the reunion last season where Corey was like, I don't love Cheyenne and I don't want to be with her. Like, they, Corey and Cheyenne had sex and then the next day, like, on Friday night, Corey and Cheyenne had sex and Saturday morning they sat on a stage and Corey was like, I don't want to be in a relationship with her. I do not love her on fucking TV and Cheyenne had to sit there and cry. (laughs) Like, that was beyond fucked up. I don't think Corey is a good partner. I think he seems like a fine dad, but, or at least not a good partner for Cheyenne because he didn't love Cheyenne. He didn't want to be Cheyenne's partner. So how could he be a good partner for her? But I do think that now that Cheyenne has moved on, I guess this is like, I don't know. I think what happened last season is because Corey was single and he just wanted to fuck around with Cheyenne and have sex that he pushed Zach out very purposely. But I think they, I think Corey and Cheyenne are good at co-parenting when they both have significant others. I think where Corey and Cheyenne are really going to run into problems is when one of them is single or both of them are single. But I think right now I'm impressed with the boundaries they seem to be setting up, the fact that they're really talking this out, like what do, what are our intentions, what are our goals, we're never going to be together, how are we going to make this work? But like I don't see a world in which like Corey and Cheyenne um, – don't have sex if they're both single. I don't see a world in which if Cheyenne doesn't have a boyfriend that she won't be like crushing hard, hard, hard on Corey. But I also think Cheyenne is a girl that if she wants a boyfriend, she gets a boyfriend. Um, I think, you know, she had a boyfriend when she got pregnant with Ryder, when she had sex with Corey, then she had another boyfriend that we saw last season, Zach. Then she was hooking up with Corey by the end of the season and now she has Matt that she's in a serious I love you relationship with uh Cheyenne is obviously like beautiful beautiful um I think Cheyenne is very very pretty and she has a great body and she seems honestly very nice like I out of all the girls that I like if I could pick any of these girls to be friends with in real life like I would absolutely pick Cheyenne I think she is like, she seems very nice and normal, and, like, I can see Cheyenne and I, like, you know, going to get dinner or, like, having fun. Like, I really, I think her family is very enjoyable. I like Cheyenne as a person. I think, especially because I haven't been watching her on TV for that long, 
Um, and because the TV show that I'm now watching her on is one where she doesn't get a ton of airtime because she's sharing the screen with so many people, I think there really hasn't been a chance for me to dislike Cheyenne yet, even if I haven't like 100% agreed with everything she did. So I think that for Cheyenne, like I bet whenever she wants a boyfriend, like she has a boyfriend. I don't think that's the hard part for her, but I think what she does is she like gets with these guys that she doesn't really truly like and thinks she wants to be serious with them and then fucks it up. AKA what she did with the guy that she cheated on Corey or cheated with Corey on got pregnant. Uh, I still need more information on like how that went down. If that guy thought he was the dad, like I still am a little confused by all of that. Um, And I'm probably always going to be confused by all that because for some reason my brain just, like, cannot store to memory, like, things with Corey and Cheyenne. Like, I swear I've had people in my DMs, like, give me lengthy responses on what exactly happened. And I, like, greatly appreciate that. But for whatever reason, my brain is like, I will not retain information about this couple. And that's wrong. That's fucked up. By the way, Corey and Nate Griffin look so much alike, it, it upsets me. Like, how much alike they look. So, yeah, that's really all I have to say about Corey and Cheyenne is that Cheyenne's dad is, like, Cheyenne's dad is performing for the camera. I wonder what he's, like, off camera because I feel like the two times or three times maybe that we've seen him, he's, like, always performing and putting on a show. Like, that interrogation he did with Matt where he's, like, I want the 411 on Matt. Like, introduce yourself to me. Like, I'm sure he does a version of that off camera, but I do think he's, like, kind of doing a heightened, like, I'm the wise dad every time he's on camera. Okay, that's it. Corey and Cheyenne. I'm not anti-Corey and Cheyenne. I just am not really pro-Corey and Cheyenne. All right, let's go to Amber, who, like I said, I don't really have anything to talk about with Amber this week. Uh, her entire storyline was that Leah wants to get an Instagram and... Andrew suggests that they get an Instagram, but give her an alternate name, like Daisy Duke 29 And I thought that was really fucking weird and creepy that he would suggest a 10-year-old's Instagram handle or alternative name be Daisy Duke, a very sexual character. I thought that was fucking weird. Sorry, Andrew. I, like, when he said that, I was like, what the fuck? Like, wouldn't you think he'd be like, it should be Minnie Mouse or, like, something childlike. For him to pick Daisy, I don't know. I don't know. It was fucking weird. I didn't like it, and neither did Amber. But basically, Andrew was like, okay, let's set up a profile. And she was like, no, I have to talk to Gary. Um, She talks to Gary. Gary says that he absolutely doesn't want her to have social media. There's a lot of talk about how Leah is not just a normal kid. And that there needs to be an extra protection for Leah because of the things that people say to Amber and Gary online that, like, they want to protect Leah from that, which I think is absolutely true. Of course, Leah could get a private Instagram where she could just add her friends. But I also think that Gary Gary was 100% right. There's She does not need Instagram. There's no reason that she needs Instagram. Even a private Instagram doesn't need, even if her friends are get it, getting it, she just doesn't need it. Um, Amber says to Gary, like, maybe around 12 would be an appropriate age. And Gary's like, well, I don't know. And Amber's like, look, I'm just trying to be realistic. And I think Amber's right there. I think around 12 is probably a realistic age in which, like, 
yeah, the kid's probably going to get a private Instagram by then. I would say most 12-year-olds probably have private Instagrams in this day and age. Well, some have public, but if not public, their parents let them have private Instagrams. Um, I think that they're absolutely right that Lee is not just a normal kid and that she needs to be protected from social media. Uh, I just think of the things that Sophia gets on Instagram. Bentley has an Instagram where they put fucking... They sell clickbait on Bentley's Instagram and it will like post stories about his dad going to jail, which is just wildly inappropriate. And yeah, that's literally all that happened. They tell Leah that she can't have an Instagram and they say, okay. I I don't know. I thought it was kind of interesting because I would assume that this is something that a lot of parents deal with and that's probably hard to know when you're supposed to give your kids social media or supposed to give, allow your child to have social media because I would assume they start asking about it. Um, obviously, like, I would hope that any social media would be a parent-ran account. I was allowed to have, like, unmonitored, uh, internet access by the time I was eight. Cousin Julia and I got in trouble because we gave, um, men our addresses. And then Cousin Julia got a stalker that would drive up and down their street. And I think they had to change their phone number because he would call incessantly. Um, so yeah, we were, like, literally eight and nine years old and we did this on AOL chat rooms. And after that, my big consequence was that my parents moved my computer into the dining room out of the study. I think what happened was they, this is literally insane. Um, My parents gave me my own computer because, so it could be in the dining room, which is right next to the, like connected to the kitchen. And my brother could have his private interneting in the study, which is what we called our office for, I don't know why we called it a study. We just did. Like my brother could be in private, my brother who's, two years older than me, could be private interneting in the office with the door closed, but I had to do it from the dining room where there was no door to close. <laughs> that was the big consequence. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, like, that's when it happened, <laughs> when I got my own computer. <laughs> this is why I'm so fucked up. And my parents had, like, no monitoring. I remember I would go to people's houses and they'd have, like, kids AOL, and I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> I'm like, let's go in chat rooms. So, yeah, there was just no, like, literally my cousin, like, got stalked and my parents were like, now you have to use the internet from the dining room. But they, like, never, ever, ever looked over my shoulder ever. So, I'm not sure what that, what that, uh, did for them. Oh, God. That's why I'm so fucked up now. Because I just had unfiltered internet access for my entire life. (laughs) Ay, ay, ay. Okay, so Macy. What happened in Macy's segment? Oh, so it's Father's Day in Macy's segment, and they're going out of town to Atlanta for Bentley's a baseball tournament. And there's a really cute scene where Jade asks Macy if she can tell her a secret. And Macy's like, of course, you can tell me all your secrets. And Jade says, I wish I could be a farmer one day. <laughs> so cute. Macy's like, well, you we could be a farmer now. We can go to the store and buy some plants. You can grow some food. And Jade goes, but I don't even have any farmer's clothes. <laughs> Jade is so fucking cute. So Ryan is allowed to go to Bentley's baseball games. So the big question is, will Ryan show up? The producer is asking Macy if anybody has reached out to her about Father's Day or what's going on. And Macy's like, no, nobody said shit. I know they're going to ask me if he can spend Sunday night with them. And I'm going to say no because, like, they can't ask me the day of. Like, I don't understand why they don't contact me, you know, two weeks in advance to make a plan, which I 100% agree with. I think they're totally right. 
They say, you know, we know Jen and Larry will be at the tournament because they come to all the tournaments, which, like, I mean, good for Jen and Larry. Apparently, Larry's a real... Remember Larry's a real asshole at Bentley's baseball games, and he, like, flipped out, and Taylor had to, like, take him aside to tell him to stop yelling. <laughs> He's, like, one of those guys. But, in general, Jen and Larry are at every game and really supportive of Bentley, of course. But it's the day of the game, and... Oh, well, beforehand... um. Mackenzie and Ryan are with the Edwards. We see baby Jagger, who looks just like Larry. Oh, my God. He's a Larry on a baby's body. It's so crazy. And uh, Mackenzie says they're going to go to the tournament on Sunday. And Jen says that she's going to ask Macy if Bentley can leave with them to spend the rest of Sunday with them. And I'm like, well, why don't you send her a fucking text? Like, when I heard Jen say that, I was like, why would you're literally already planning on asking like why wouldn't you just ask it doesn't make any sense to me the way that they operate with macy it's cute they make a right before they leave they make a jen not jen taylor gets a card from the kids and they write their favorite things about their dad and bentley says that his favorite thing about t-money is the ridiculous dad jokes he makes jade's favorite thing is mcdonald's (laughs) And Mavericks is baseball, which is really cute. Like, because Taylor read, my favorite thing about dad is McDonald's. And Jade's like, I said that. And then he reads the baseball one and little Mavericks like, I said that. So, so, so cute. But yeah, I don't understand why Jen and Larry will wait until they're like in Atlanta and ask Macy on the spot. Doesn't make any sense. I don't get people who don't plan ahead. So... It's the day of the baseball game. They're in Atlanta. Bentley and McKenzie are there. That's great. Macy's glad he's there. It makes Bentley happy that he's there. I'm happy that he's there. Uh, we get, like, a weird up-face shot of Ryan, and his teeth look wild. Somebody sent me a caption of it on Instagram. It was like, what happened to his teeth? And I was like, yikes. I don't know. The segment kind of ends with Ryan and McKenzie talking after the fact, and they asked... Jen asked um, Macy if Bentley could leave with them, but Macy said no because Bentley had to play for another team. And Mackenzie's like, did you know that he had to play for another team? And then this week he's going to go to, I think she said Cleveland for a golf tournament, and that he told your dad that all he wants to do is go home and relax. And Ryan's like, I don't really understand why he has, she has him in all these sports. Now, I don't know if everybody's going to agree with me. This seemed to cause a big fight on Reddit. But I agree with Ryan and Mackenzie. Like, I don't... Bentley's 10. He's in multiple teams that take him out of state. I don't know. I think in general, like, kids have too much on their plates these days. Like, I'm all about your kids being in sports, especially if your child is gifted and athletic. And, like, I just... I don't know. I don't really understand why a 10-year-old needs to be on multiple traveling teams. I think that that's a lot for any 10 year old. I remember like seeing it in my friends that their parents just like put too much pressure on them for sports. And I think that obviously if Bentley's committed to playing these sports, like he can't just abandon the team and go home and relax. But also at the same time, like, I don't know, he's 10. Like, it's not that serious. Like, yes, he made a commitment to the team and commitments are important. But I I don't know. I think people treat and I say this as someone who grew, grew up playing sports. I like watching sports. I was, you know, I, I play, like I said, I played sports. Not a competitive person, so I don't know. Maybe it's just, like, my inherent nature. 
But I feel like if your kid is expressing to you that they're overworked in sports and they're 10 years old, like, it's okay to not, like, crack the whip and make them continue going. I think that Ryan and Mackenzie are not necessarily coming from a an honest place with their criticism. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not necessarily on Ryan and Mackenzie's side here because I don't think they have any idea what Bentley truly wants or doesn't want. And I'm not sure that Bentley, like, talking to... Larry in that moment is like a true reflection of what he wants to do. But I do think there's something to be said about kids that are in way too many activities and overworking 10-year-olds. He's still very young. He's starting, he, you know, he just started fifth grade. Like, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, how many competitive, like, high comp- competition sports teams does your fifth grader need to be on? He also, like, wrestles. I don't know. Like, he's not even in middle school yet. It just, it seems like a lot to me. And I know not everybody's going to agree with that. And there are a lot of people that are hardcore sports people and think you should be on as many teams as possible and that you should always finish your commitments no matter what. And I I don't think either of us are right, to be honest. I Like, or either of us are wrong. I understand people have that point of view. I just personally, like, can't see myself putting my kids in multiple high-level like, competition teams like that. It just doesn't... Also, like, personally, I... Because my parents were like this, probably. I can't imagine as a parent, like, dedicating my time to that. (laughs) It's a shitload of time that you have to dedicate to your kids being on traveling teams. And then for them to be on multiple traveling teams. So he's on traveling golf. He's on traveling baseball. He does wrestling in the winter. I think that travels, too, because it's not through his school, you know? I just think that I think that it's a lot and I I don't want them to burn Bentley out because I think that school and being a kid and hanging out with your friends should also be a priority. But if Bentley's happy and who knows if you even said that to Jen and Larry, you know what I mean? Like for all we know, Mackenzie just like told a fucking lie or Bentley said that to Larry because Larry's like, well, don't you want to come with us? Don't you wish you could come with us? And so Bentley kind of just said it to appease it. I just... I am concerned with, like, the level of stress that we put on young, young, young children who don't necessarily have the ability to, like, stick up for themselves and what they really want to do. So, who knows what the truth is. It's just, like, my personal commentary. Okay, let's go into the other Mackenzie. I don't like there being two Mackenzies on this show. I will say that. So, we get a previously on for Mac McKee and it's Josh like high as fuck being like I don't want to be with you (laughs) and Mackenzie's parents telling her to dump Josh (laughs) it's scenes from Teen Mom 3 basically uh so we get a shot of like the chaos that is Mackenzie's life she's trying to change Bronx's diaper and he's like I don't know Bronx is like four at this point um and she's like you need to go in the potty so I don't have to do this Gannon's room's a mess the dog is eating off the table and Mackenzie's like I'm Mackenzie and you'll be seeing more of my life in the next few episodes (laughs) poor Mackenzie (sighs) MTV is just dangling that carrot and she's running after it as fast as she can so we find out that Josh and Mackenzie have always struggled they've been separated they've been unfaithful they've gotten back together But since her mom got sick, he's really stepped up. If you guys will remember, I've talked about this on the show. Josh and Mackenzie um, broke up a little bit after Jax was born and her postpartum was really, really bad. At one point, 
Josh told Mackenzie that if she was going to kill herself to make sure she did it when the kids weren't home. Um, when she says that when she started Body by Mac, she was a single woman. Body by Mac is her, uh, bodybuilding thing. I don't follow her on Snap. I don't really watch anybody on Snapchat now except for snaps that are, like, individually sent to me. But on Instagram, she never talks about Body by Mac anymore. So I'm not sure if she really is still doing that. But I guess she is. I'll have to check it on Snapchat. Uh, that's where she... I know she posts the majority of her stuff on Snapchat, not on Instagram. But... Mackenzie and Josh sit down to talk. Josh is still doing rodeos and now is doing rodeos full time. And I'm wondering what the fuck that means. Because for the last few years, Josh has been doing construction. I believe he was hanging drywall, hanging drywall, which is, you know, a good solid job making good money to support your family. It's hard work, but and it's not like millions of dollars, but it's definitely a career and one that puts food on the table. So when Josh says he's doing rodeos full time, does that mean he's not working a job? Also, are rodeos animal abuse? (laughs) Is riding a bull animal abuse? Can somebody let me know in whatever I post on Instagram this week for, like, new episode up? You know, I always post that on Instagram. Um, Can you let me know if riding bulls is animal abuse? (laughs) I feel like it has to be, right? Like, a lot of that rodeo stuff is animal abuse. I actually have no idea. It might not be. I just feel like if circuses are animal abuse, circuses that use animals, like, how is bull riding not animal abuse? And, like, if horse racing is animal abuse, oh, God, let's not get in a horse racing fight. But, like, if dog racing is animal, you know what I mean? Like, don't rodeos have to fall under that? Um, but yeah, so Josh and Mackenzie are talking about how she's kind of nervous about him being away, but she trusts him, and I guess he goes and travels for rodeo. Also, it just, I don't know, it seems kind of crazy to me if he is really doing this full-time that he wouldn't be working. Rodeo is also extremely dangerous, as we learned in her 16 and Pregnant and in Teen Mom 3. Uh, Josh has had, like, multiple concussions. You can just get very hurt riding a bull, of course, And it seems crazy that with three young kids at home, he is riding bulls. I don't know. This is a cultural difference situation for me, I guess, because I find this idea so insane. But I personally, like, wouldn't even be married to someone who rode a motorcycle because I think motorcycles are way too dangerous and deadly. And I would never, ever, ever want to be, have a husband that rode a motorcycle if we had, especially if we had kids because it's just so dangerous. Um... So I'm not really sure, like, to me, the idea of bull, also, like, just the idea of going to rodeos and bull riding is so foreign from my life that I don't totally get it, I guess you could say. And I, I don't know. Yeah, that's it. It's a big cultural difference. If you are from Oklahoma or a place where bull riding is popular, please come into my Instagram comments or send me a DM and let me know all about bull riding because I am pretty curious. (laughs) Uh, what else is going on in this episode? Oh, so Josh, like, talks to his dad, and the theme, the beginning theme of this episode is, like, how good Josh and Mackenzie are doing now. Um, and then Josh is away, and Mackenzie gets this long-ass text, and basically the text is, like, my husband tried to cheat on me, and your husband was there with him in a bar. Now, I'm a little confused by this whole thing. How does Mackenzie know this girl? How did this girl find out? Basically, her friend wasn't saying, like, Josh was picking up a woman, but that Josh was there with him. 
And I'm a little confused why this girl would even contact Mackenzie. Like, if you don't have information that Josh was, like, fucking somebody else, like, don't talk to me about it. That's how I would feel if I was Mackenzie. But Josh is really upset about it because, or excuse me, Mackenzie's really upset about it because she didn't even know Josh was going to a bar. I wrote down a note here that said, LOL, MTV is so rude, but I don't know why I wrote that down. Because it's in between, like, Josh, her getting a text, and then her, and then me saying she got a long-ass text, so I'm not sure. But MTV did something rude there, in case you were wondering. I feel like MTV is very, very rude to Mackenzie in general. So, um, Max says they haven't dealt with crap like this in so long, and I'm just curious about, like, when so long is... Because Mackenzie and Josh, also later in this episode, she says, like, they've only been unfaithful to each other before they were married, which is straight up not a factual statement. Um, If you guys will remember, Mackenzie once totaled a brand new SUV that she bought in cash. Mackenzie bought an SUV in cash, like $35,000, I think, is the number that sticks out of my head. She drove it off lot, and I guess because she bought it in cash, she was able to not purchase insurance on it. I know that like when I did, I worked at this company that uh, approved like car loans, honestly like predatory car loans, like sometimes the interest rate would be 20%. It was fucking insane. Um, But we would approve car loans and one of the requirements for car loans that you like had to have full coverage insurance and like with a deductible at a certain rate, like there were lots of requirements to get a loan, but maybe in her state, if you pay in cash, like you don't have to have insurance to drive the car off the lot. So these, you know, these, she drove this car off the lot. She had no insurance on it. That was a Friday. On Saturday, she was driving around looking for Josh where he was God knows where doing God knows what. I believe those were her exact words. And she had a diabetic blood pressure or blood sugar issue and passed out behind the wheel and drove her car off the side of the road, which is unfortunately something that happens, which to me kind of signifies that she probably shouldn't have a driver's license. Uh, Like, it should be like, if you know, if you have epilepsy and you have seizures, you can have a driver's license. Like, if you have a seizure behind the wheel, you can have a driver's license for a certain amount of time. Mackenzie has had multiple episodes where she's blocked out while driving, and apparently it's no issue with her driver's license. But uh, she blocked out while driving, drove her car off the road, and totaled, her brand new SUV because she was driving around looking for Josh cheating. And this was after Jaxie was born, I believe. There was another time where he wasn't cheating, but she was pregnant with Jaxie. And another, like, Josh being near cheater story where, okay, so she was pregnant with Jaxie and Josh was with a friend. That friend was cheating on Mackenzie's friend. So basically like one of their couple's friends. And they were at Josh, the cheating boyfriend or husband. Josh and the cheating boyfriend or husband were at the house of the person that the guy was cheating with. And Mackenzie and the girl like went over to this house and like demanded that this guy and Josh come outside, but what happened was the woman came outside and dragged a a pregnant Mackenzie by the hair across the porch, like five months visibly pregnant, um, while Josh sat inside and, like, let her pregnant ass get beat. Like, this is the type of relationship that they have, and we're supposed to be, like, 
Yay, Josh and Mackenzie are really working so hard on it. Like, no, 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 no. So she has lunch with a friend, and her friend was like, I don't think Josh should be traveling at all. Like, with the kids that you have the kids at home, like, Josh shouldn't be out. Basically, her friend was like, I don't fucking trust Josh. And her friend and I are on the same page. And Mackenzie is saying that, you know, they were really rock solid right now. So that's why this whole thing is really shaking her. And I don't know. I just don't believe Mackenzie when she says her and Josh are rock solid. I don't think they're rock solid is what I would think of as being rock solid, I guess. So Josh comes home and they're like snuggled up on the couch. And Mackenzie's like, so why'd you lie to me? (laughs) And Josh says that, you know, nothing happened with him, but that he did lie to her about going to a bar. I guess my question is, she thinks he's like traveling on the road and he's not going out like drinking at all. Like she's out of her skull. She has no I she really has some unrealistic expectations for old Joshy boy. Not that like I think they're unreasonable expectations. I think they're unrealistic expectations and those are two different things. So Mackenzie says that she was just like sure up humiliated by his lying and Josh is like, "Well, I just lied to you because I wanted to avoid a fight," which to me tells me a lot about their relationship. Mackenzie's like, you would never cheat on me, would you? And she's like, do you realize what we have here and how special this is? For me, nothing would be worth ruining our marriage. And I was like, yikes. Because Josh did not seem to feel the same way at all. I don't know. Josh has also, like, never been very good on camera. Although, in their Team Mom 3 season, he was addicted to pills. I wonder what ever happened with that. He admitted it on the reunion that he was addicted to pills and it's just like never been mentioned again. But he is just not good on camera. So Mackenzie was like, well, will you tell me when stuff like this happens so that I don't have to hear it from other people? And Josh is like, Josh straight up says, I don't know. (laughs) And Mackenzie's like, well, I can't live with you not knowing. And then it's just like end scene. It's like, so was there a resolution? Oh, man, what a mess. So the final scene with Mackenzie is her spending time with Angie and her dad. Angie's her mom who is dying of stage four cancer. It's very, very sad, of course. Um, Angie asks how she and Josh are doing. And did you notice there was a fuck up in the dubbing on this episode? Uh, Because Angie says, how are you and Josh doing? And then Mackenzie starts talking about it. And then her dad starts talking. And as her dad is talking... Angie's saying in the same exact tone, inflection, everything, how are you and Josh doing, plays over her dad talking. I think that was an MTV editing fuck up. But basically, Mackenzie says that, like, you know, they're having problems, but they're trying to work it out. And their fights went from, like, three-week fights to one-week fights to just a few-hour fights, which... Oh, God, I feel sad for Mackenzie when she says stuff like that. She's only with Josh because she feels like she has to be and, like, she can't get a divorce. And because her family will hate her if she gets a divorce. And I think think Mackenzie thinks that we are impressed by them working out everything. And I don't know, maybe some people are. Like those people that get on Instagram and say like, yeah, marriage is for the long haul. Like kids these days just give up on marriage too fast. And that's why divorce is so common. And you guys stick it out. But to me, it sounds absolutely fucking miserable. Mackenzie is what, 24 25. Mackenzie is young, guys. She is like four years younger than the people on Team Mom OG. Like, keep in mind, Mackenzie is young. 
And so it just, like, bums me the fuck out when I hear someone who's in their mid-20s, like, talking about how fucking hard their life is and how hard their marriage is and how, like, I don't, I don't know. To me, that doesn't seem rewarding. That seems, like, sad. That she's working so hard with Josh. For, I don't, I don't see the reward aspect. I see the struggle, but I don't see what she's getting from it. And I guess I'm a person that advocates for divorce and doesn't think divorce should be, like, that taboo. But I, I think that Mackenzie is doing this thing where she's, like, you know, hanging by a cross, like, expecting us all to, like, be like, oh, you're such a martyr. You're amazing. But really, I'm like, who are you doing this for? It's just sad. So Angie is going to start chemo again. Um, And after this, Angie gets really sick. But she's doing a lot better, which is good. But she has to get, like, basically the chemo that they give when your first chemo doesn't work. It's really intensive. And Mackenzie's like, are you even sure that you want to do this? And Angie says, you know, I'm not sure. Angie says she knows for a fact that only God can heal her. And I, I do believe that Angie's faith is a big part of the reason that she's still alive. I think that it gives her a lot of motivation, a lot of uh, healing power, just having faith and being so steadfast in your destiny, if you will, I think uh, has been really, really good for Angie. But Angie basically says she's only going to do this chemo because of the kids and that she she can't live with herself or die with herself with her kids thinking that she just gave up. And Mackenzie starts crying and she's like, I just want you to get better. I'm going to be really mad if you don't. And Angie says it's okay to get mad, but you can't stay mad. And then Max says something really fucking sad. And this kind of sums up their whole relationship, in my opinion. And it's a big problem with Mackenzie and with her mom and her parents. And Mackenzie says that, you know, I feel like, and nobody corrects her on this. And this is what makes me sad. Mackenzie says, I just feel like all of my siblings, well, at least not that we saw. Mackenzie says, all of my siblings are all so perfect. They're all just like perfect glasses. And I am this broken glass. And the only glue that holds me together is you. And if you aren't here, all of my water is going to spill out. Basically something like that. And that to me was so fucking sad. So, so, so sad to hear that. I mean, obviously just like the heartbreak of losing a parent and like watching your parent die is devastating. I hope I'm never in that position. It's really awful. I really, really feel for Mackenzie in that aspect. But the fact that she still views her siblings as perfect when she's in her mid-20s is really alarming to me. Um, you know, it's one thing when you're a small child and you feel like your sibling's perfect and you can't do anything right. I think that's like a natural feeling for a lot of kids. But it really worries me that she has three older siblings and she's 25 or 26 and she still can't see that they're not perfect. Yikes. Um, I don't understand why Angie didn't correct her there and say they're not perfect. They make mistakes too and they have flaws too and you're all perfect in my eyes or some shit like that. I don't understand why Angie continuously lets her say things like my siblings are perfect and I'm a fuck up. Um, Well, I know why she lets them because she believes it. Um, Like she literally told us as much and being Mackenzie, they said it on TV that Mackenzie was the child that she had trouble with and that everybody else was so good and they could never understand Mackenzie. 
I don't know. That was just so heartbreaking to me that Mackenzie just, like, said my siblings are perfect and if you die, like, I'll be nothing. And at least not from what MTV showed us. Like, nobody said, like, that's not true. Ugh, it just made me so sad. I don't know what Mackenzie's going to do when Angie dies. She's not going to be able to handle it. It's going to be really dark and really sad. And I'm really worried for her. But yeah, that's it. Mackenzie was a breath of fresh. I'm glad she's here. Like I said, I enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed watching it. I'm definitely going to watch, at least my plan is to watch the rest of the episodes that Mackenzie McKee is featured on. So I will be talking about new episodes. Anyway, that's it for this week. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, feathers underscore pod, and have a good week. Bye, guys. This has been an episode of Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Executive producers Molly McAleer and Liz Bentley. Produced by Nicole Matthews. Special thanks to Sarah DiGiovanna for our logo. Head on over to our Patreon page for more rewards. www.patreon.com slash ebpsychos 